0: Amen. Well, before we turn to God's Word, um, I have a uh, an announcement that I want to share with you all. Am I a little echoey only on the stage or throughout the whole room? I don't know. But um, I'll trust the guys in the back to take care of that. Um, so, as you all know, we're in this year, the year of our Lord 2021, which follows the year of our Lord twenty twenty. And life has been complicated, yeah? <laughs> it's been a little bit complicated. Um, a whole bunch of things that we could not have foreseen 14 months ago have happened. And, uh, we are living in this kind of roller coaster and living in this roller coaster time that we're living through. Many of us are sick and tired of changes. For better or for worse, I want to start talking again about some changes that may be coming up in this roller coaster life that we're living. You know, um, our hope is that by the next school year, uh, we can get to a place where, uh, COVID-19 is no longer a kind of culture-wide issue. It's no longer something that is shaping the way that we function and the way that we live. Um, And there's a lot of reason for optimism in that direction. Now, if we know anything from the last year is that we don't see the future very well. So anything I say about the future, just keep in mind, we don't really know the future. All we say is, if the Lord wills, right? Um, But with more and more people being vaccinated throughout our culture um, and with more and more people with kind of natural immunity from having uh, been exposed to COVID-19 and with other things shifting over time. We're hopeful that between now and the beginning of the next school year, we'll be in a place where we can all gather, uh, maybe even in one service together in this room with everybody here together um, without any additional requirements um, and, and looking a lot more like what church felt like, uh, you know, say 14 months ago or something like that. That's where we want to get by the next school year. And I think that's a very reasonable pace to get there. We're not saying that we're... You know, kind of, uh, we're not being edgy by saying that's a, a pace to be on. It's just kind of a, a pretty reasonable pace to be moving toward. But here's the thing. From where we are now, let's call this point A and point B, uh, getting to that place where there are no more, uh, you know, no more kind of COVID-era changes or COVID-era things marking the way that we do gatherings, there are going to be several changes that we'll make along the way. Um, and one of those changes uh, we want to start making even next Sunday. And here's the thing. Some of you have been asking for a long time, can we do church services without wearing masks to sing and things like that? Now, on the other hand, there are people who are saying, I will not come if there are people singing without masks on. Um, And in this moment that we're in right now with two services, we've received approval from our hosts here at Advent to do one of our services without requiring masks while we're singing and things like that. And so next Sunday, uh, our 5 p.m. service will be a masks optional service going to be your choice whether to wear it or not. And our 3 p.m. service will continue to be a masks expected service. Uh, in other words, uh, if you reserve a space to come at 3, please do plan to wear a mask uh, the, the whole time that you're in here. Um, and if you're planning to come at 5, uh, it will be your choice. And for some of you, it will be a wonderful blessing now that you've been vaccinated and things like that. And, and you're just eager to sing without wearing a mask anymore. This will be a blessing for some of us. I want to emphasize this is just one step that we need to take between now and the next school year. Um, This is not the whole journey in one week, and I realize it also raises some questions that we're going to need to answer, and um, I'm just going to be honest and say I may not even have all of the answers to your questions. If you want to send over questions to... Uh, our church office, we will certainly listen to them. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to do our best to communicate a ton of information to you by Tuesday um, so that you can make an informed decision about whether you'd prefer to be at a 3 p.m. masks expected service or at a 5 p.m. masks optional service next Sunday. And here's the thing, with the roller coaster thing that we're doing, um, pardon me, (laughs) with the roller coaster thing that we're doing, it may only be a few more weeks that we stick with these precise times. And so as we get closer to the summer months and the days kind of get longer and family schedules kind of change, we realize that uh there may be a shift as the school year ends, there may be a shift in time frames that work well for people. And so in a few weeks after after we've been doing uh masks expected and masks optional services, For two or three weeks, we're going to do kind of a church-wide survey, gather some of your input about times for services and other details related to what the next few months might look like as things are changing um, in our culture and changing in the ways that we do Sunday services. And uh, we will listen to your input carefully. Let me say, kind of in a joking way people with little kids will get double votes, okay? And so if you are one of those people with little kids and you've been soldiering it out with your kids, like climbing over your shoulders during the service and things like that, we're going to listen especially to your input about what times work best and things like that. So a number of changes are coming up. The detail that we need to know for next week is that we will begin having a masks optional service at 5 p.m. Uh, and a mask Expected service at 3 p.m. So that's the that's the the first shift. With more shifts to come over the next four or five weeks, and with a goal of making it to that place by the end of the summer, where we're able to gather with fewer uh, COVID, where with hopefully with no COVID era um, restrictions on us. Now there are a lot of things that could change between now and then. Please. Don't hold my feet to the fire if changes happen between now and August. But that seems to be the direction that we're headed in um, between now and then. Fair enough? Am I making sense? Can you guys nod if that kind of made sense? Okay, I hope so. Okay, so um, here is uh, what we're going to do today. is We are going to open up God's Word to the book of Proverbs. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26, I'm actually going to pause my mic for one second and get a gulp of water because my throat is really dry, hold on, my apologies, thank you for your patience there. So Proverbs chapter 26, we're returning to our sermon series in the book of Proverbs, which uh, in which we are learning about wisdom, which is the skill of living well in God's world. And today we want to consider wisdom for laziness. A topic which will be relatable to many of us. I want to be honest with you and start with kind of something of a confession of my own. I am terrible at doing the dishes. I'm getting mainly judgy faces and not mainly I'm with you faces, unfortunately. Maybe that's because y'all are, un, are, are unwilling to admit it, or maybe you are just really judging me right now, but I am terrible at doing the dishes. There is just always some other excuse of something I would rather be doing than the dishes. There's always something more interesting for me to spend my time on. And therefore, um, even if I see a stack of dishes laying there in the sink with like, you know, spaghetti sauce all over them in need of being washed. The last thing I want to do is go over there and start running the water and start scrubbing off those dishes. And even if I go over there and start running the water and start scrubbing off those dishes... There is always something more interesting and more important to do before the job is done. And so even if I get started in washing those dishes, there's always the possibility of finding some excuse to walk away and move into something else before the project is over, right? And you know what? This has even become, I'm not joking, some of my friends have even confronted me about this over the years because they will, they will hear Katie describe what life is like in our house after dinner and it's just like, oh yeah, Josh doesn't do the dishes. And my friends have had to come and talk to me and sometimes even when my friends come and confront me about this, I'm just like, nah, you don't understand. It's hard for me to do the dishes. It's hard. But here's the thing, if we don't do the dishes, uh, what's the result? The result is either that dishes don't get done or the job just gets dumped on somebody else, right? And so as much as I might be terrible at doing the dishes, I need to recognize that the end result of cultivating habits of life in which I just leave the dishes undone, either because there's just something distracting or because I don't want to get started or because I don't want to finish what I start or whatever the case may be, I need to realize there are real-world consequences to not getting to the dishes. As simple as the illustration of dishes may be, and as much as you all might be judging me for that right now, What I'd like us to pause and consider is that there are actually much more significant issues in our lives even than doing dishes. And that's why you don't need to do the, no, just kidding. That's why people like me don't have to do the dishes. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not where I'm going with that. But I want us to pause and consider that in this little issue of laziness that shows up in my life related to dishes, the same issue of laziness can show up in any of our lives, kind of in any number of areas of our lives, right? In addition to things like dishes, we also have um, we also have issues uh, in our lives like building relationships with other people. And just like dishes, there will always be something else that seems important to pay attention to. There will always be some hindrances to just taking that first step of getting involved. There will always be hindrances to sticking with friends over time. There are a bunch of reasons why we might not invest the time and energy needed to cultivate friendships. And the end result will be that there will be real-world consequences if we live our lives in a lazy way related to relationships, right? Uh, There are real-world consequences in our lives when we bring a posture or an instinct of laziness to our prayer life. There will be real-world consequences and issues in our lives when we bring this posture of laziness to church life and church ministry. There will be real-world consequences in our lives certainly if we bring this posture of laziness into the workplace and there will be real-world consequences if we bring this issue of laziness with us to the great commission that we are called to, to go and make disciples of every nation. You know, in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter mentions this possibility writing to Christians. And he says, I don't want you to be ineffective and unfruitful in your faith. I don't know if some of us might do well to pause and consider that even if we believe in Jesus, even if we're saved by his grace, it is possible for us to be kind of ineffective and relatively unfruitful, sometimes as a result of habits of laziness in our lives. And as we listen to the book of Proverbs, there is a theme that kind of comes up repeatedly. It's this theme of a character who is called the sluggard. Can you say sluggard? It's kind of a fun word, isn't it, kids? Sluggard. It refers to somebody who is just kind of lazy in their approach to life. Somebody who is kind of slothful and slow and unwilling to get their hands involved in the work that needs to be done. The book of Proverbs warns us about the sluggard, but as the book of Proverbs warns us about the sluggard, there's a danger in the way we read it. I want to tell you up front, the danger is if we read these passages and these warnings about the sluggard, and we just think that's for some lazy old people out there. Instead of reading God's word and assuming God has this in his word for my instruction in here for my effectiveness and for my fruitfulness in my faith and in my life of following him. God has put these warnings about sluggardliness, these warnings about slothfulness, these warnings about laziness in his word. And I want to take some time along with you today to pay attention to some of how this theme works out. This idea of the sluggard or this concept of uh, this concept of a sluggard could be translated also in a more modern way as a couch potato. And so what I want to do is I want to show you from Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 through 16, four elements of the couch potato instinct as it's revealed in God's word. For our good and for our fruitfulness. Look with me if you would at this description of the couch potato instinct. In Proverbs chapter 26 beginning in verse 13. The sluggard or the couch potato says. There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges. So does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is God's word and I pray that he will bless it in our hearts today. Here's a first Aspect of the couch potato instinct as we see it in verse 13. The first aspect of the couch potato instinct is that we make excuses. Sound familiar? We make excuses. That's what's going on in this word picture in verse 13. The couch potato says, there is a lion in the road. Now let's pay attention to how this imagery and how this proverb works. What is a lion? A lion is a dangerous and deadly beast. It is not to be trifled with. It can kill you. It is real. It is not the figment of anybody's imagination that lions exist and lions are dangerous. But a lion walking down the middle of the street at 10 a.m. in Jerusalem... Highly unlikely at best. It's a real threat, a lion, but in this case, in Jerusalem at 10 a.m., this real threat of a lion is being used as an excuse to avoid doing something good that otherwise could be done. You see how that works? The sluggard is lying there saying there's a lion in the street. And the problem with this couch potato instinct is not that lions are really harmless. The problem is that a real threat is being used as an excuse to avoid a real opportunity to do something else good. You see? One of the elements of the couch potato instinct is that we tend to make excuses about things. Now, I I wavered a little bit about whether or not to go here and if to go here, whether to go here right away at the beginning of the sermon, but I'm just going to do it. Let's talk 2021. Let's talk coronavirus for a minute, okay? Coronavirus, like a lion, is a dangerous threat, and it does exist in the world, and furthermore, it is different than the idea of a lion in the street in that it really is killing people right here in our city today. Some of you doubt the deadliness of coronavirus, perhaps, but I have a, a neighbor, a friend here in Aurora, younger than me, whose cousin died this week from a battle with coronavirus. Coronavirus. It's a real threat. It really does take lives. It should be taken seriously. But it could also become an excuse. Now, some of you are wondering, is this where Josh is going to become the angry pastor who rebukes people for worshiping at home? And who rebukes people for uh, taking health precautions that are appropriate for themselves or for their family. And the answer is no. That's not at all my intention. In fact, let me go a step further than that. And let me point out something to those of you who are here in this room. There are a bunch of people right now worshiping along with us from their houses. Some of them for real reasons for understandable reasons for their own health or for the health of other people in their family or out of consideration of other neighbors around them they've decided not to come back and worship in person and some of them haven't even been here for like more than a year now in person for live worship and listen here's what i want to say those brothers and sisters are not necessarily lazy In fact, I can tell you with specific individuals in mind that some of those brothers and sisters who right now are worshiping at home along with us because of a concern for their own health or the health of others, etc. Are literally on the leading edge of our church's ministry to people who are hurting or hungry or, uh, or in need in other ways. Some of those people who are worshiping at home today literally are the ones who have organized getting people together to make meals and have them delivered to Hesed House. Some of those who are worshiping at home today, I know as a fact, are making more phone calls than you make every single week to check in on other brothers and sisters on the fringes of this church and make sure that they're doing okay. Some of those brothers and sisters who are worshiping at home today have regular meetings, maybe face to face with one individual, maybe over a phone call, maybe over Zoom to disciple other people or to fellowship with them. Right. And here's what I want to say with crystal clarity to those of you all in this room and definitely to those of you who I'm talking about over video right now. These dear brothers and sisters have been champions over this past year. They're not the people in need of rebuke right now. My concern is not for those who are worshiping at home and yet continuing to be on the leading edge of our church's ministries to other people. That's not my concern. However, I do have a concern sometimes for those who know that there is a worship video available. And their response is, Coronavirus! That's a good excuse for me to stay home and watch a movie. (laughs) Exactly. Like a lion in the street. Like a lion, coronavirus is a real threat. It should be taken seriously. But like a lion in the street, coronavirus can become a convenient excuse for those who say, I don't really want to worship Jesus all that much anyway. I don't really feel like fellowship. I don't really feel like serving other people in my city. So coronavirus. Coronavirus, like a lion, is dangerous. But coronavirus, like a lion in the street, can become... An excuse. Let's watch out for that in our own souls. Uh, In in a flip side kind of way, I know that there are other 2021 concerns out there which are real concerns and yet which might become an excuse. Um, Government overreach, right? Like a lion, government overreach is a serious concern. Loss of liberties and freedoms. Would be a dangerous thing. But when our concern about government overreach leads us to say. I hate these masks so much. That if I have to wear a mask. I'm not showing up to spend time with my friends. I wonder if there isn't a degree to which. That real danger of government overreach. Has become an excuse avoid loving and serving other people and in a bunch of other ways large and small you can see how this couch potato instinct can work out in our own lives in fact my challenge to you would not be to think through the church roster and consider who else tends to make excuses My challenge for each of us would be to pause and consider in my own heart, in my own life, what excuses do I tend to kind of lean on for not stepping forward and loving God and loving other people as I know I'm called to? What excuses are there that you tend to lean on? This is one aspect of the couch potato instinct, and I will be a little bit faster moving forward here. This is one aspect of the couch potato instinct is we make excuses. A second aspect of the couch potato instinct is that we avoid getting started with things. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Now with these proverbs, we need to realize that these word pictures that they give us These word pictures that they give us are not meant to be applied only in one situation. Verse 13, the thing about the lion, does not only apply with lions, right? We can make other kinds of excuses as well. Verse 14, similarly, does not only apply to what time you set your alarm clock and what you do with the alarm clock when it goes off. Verse 14 refers to or gives us a a vivid picture for the couch potato instinct that can live inside of any of us that says, I'm not going to get started yet. The dishes could wait till later. My work can wait till a little later in the day. Serving other people can wait till later this week. It's this instinct that leads us to say, you know... It's okay if I keep putting that off a little bit longer. And so the funny picture that verse 14 gives us is that a a human being lying in their bed can become like a door on its hinges. What does a door on its hinges do? It twists, it turns, it flips, but it goes nowhere. Right? Right? And verse 14 is warning us that the couch potato instinct that lives inside of each of us can lead us to become like that. We twist, we turn, we flip, but we never get started and we end up going nowhere. Uh, I'd like to invite you to think for just a moment about how the couch potato instinct maybe shows up in our lives related to prayer. I think if we ask any believer... Do you want to grow in prayer? Yes. And that's why it's easy for preachers to use application points about prayer, because then you always feel guilty. You always go away feeling like, ah, I got an area to grow. We always want to grow in prayer, right? What holds us back? A variety of answers might work, but at a very practical level, one of the reasons Christians don't, go, don't grow in prayer is because we don't make a start. We don't take a step forward like a like a couch potato, just flipping back and forth on the couch, going nowhere, beginning nothing. Christians often say, sure, I'd like to grow in prayer, but I'll start next week. Sure, I'd like to grow in prayer, but I'll start after I read a book on prayer. I like reading books on prayer. They inspire me to pray. But there's no reason you need to wait until after you read the book to start praying. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, Our friend Eric Postaluk, who planted a church in Joliet, some or many of you maybe remember Eric. I quote this from Eric frequently because I love it. Eric likes to say, the more you pray, the more you pray. Let that sink in. (laughs) It's actually more profound than it sounds at first glance even, right? The more you pray, the more you pray. And therefore, if we want to grow in prayer, one of the things we need to do is we need to get a start. We need to take a step forward and instead of delaying it until later on in the day, instead of delaying it until I have a perfect plan lined up, instead of delaying it until after I've read a book, instead of delaying it until after my church or my community group gives me better advice about it, what if we just started praying this evening? What if we just started walking with God with an awareness of His presence and talking with Him right now while you're listening to this sermon about what He wants you to hear from this message? He's speaking. Are we listening? What if tomorrow morning, instead of getting up and saying, oh, I'll come back to prayer later in the day, what if we just devote ourselves to saying, I'll just begin my day with prayer whatever time I wake up. I'm just going to devote my life to praying and praying for other people. One of the reasons we don't go in prayer is because of this couch potato instinct that holds us back from just getting started. And so in prayer, like the couch potato, we just flip back and forth and we go nowhere. A third aspect of the couch potato instinct is not only that we make excuses and we avoid getting started, but also that we don't follow through. We don't follow through with things. One of the... uh, One of the simple, and uh, I'm sorry, verse 15 there, right? The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. So here's the word picture for us. Um, Think of ice cream. I don't think the biblical author had ice cream in mind because I don't think they had ice cream, sorry. But I can have ice cream in mind and I'll give you freedom to have ice cream in mind as well. You've got a dish of ice cream in front of you. What's your favorite flavor? Tell me. Cookie dough. Anybody else? Cookies and cream. Mint, chocolate, chip. Let's just put all three in a bowl, actually, all right? Get all three in the bowl, and you can put your favorite toppings on top. What's your favorite toppings? Kids, you can jump in, too. What's your favorite toppings? Cherries. Cherries. Yes. Mint. Awesome. So we've got mints and cherries on top of our ice cream at this point. Chocolate sauce, I heard somebody say. So you've got this bowl of ice cream in front of you. And you take your spoon and you dip the spoon into the bowl. End of story. <laughs> There's something, and this is the picture that Proverbs chapter 26 is giving us. The sluggard, the couch potato in life, has a bowl of ice cream, and he dips the spoon into the bowl, and then, end of story. I'm too tired to go ahead and take a taste. And we need to pay attention to how the couch potato instinct affects each of us In our spiritual lives even, right? Let's talk prayer for just a second longer. We were talking about just taking a step to get started. But if you think of prayer as that bowl of ice cream, how often in our lives do we have this prayer of fellowship with God right in front of us and we pray one sentence, we stick the spoon in the bowl, end of story. Time to go see what's going on on Facebook. We don't follow through. Why? Because the couch potato instinct that's living inside each of us keeps us from moving forward. We do this with serving other people, right? We have opportunities to go and minister to other people in our church family. Uh, We have opportunities to minister to other people in our community. We have opportunities to extend hospitality to our neighbors, to invest in them, to get to know them, to demonstrate the love of Christ to our neighbors, But how often do we just leave it at knowing somebody's name? Here's a human being made in the image of God living next door to you. A human being made in the image of God who's in your small group. And we stick the spoon in the bowl. All right, I've got your name memorized. End of story. We don't follow through and actually get to know people and find out what's really going on in their lives so that we can really minister to them, so that we can really love them, so that we can really serve them, right? This couch potato instinct not only leads us to make excuses and to avoid starting things, it leads us to avoid following through with things. The couch potato instinct, furthermore, leads us to this place, verse 16, where we won't listen to anybody else, no matter what they say. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. We've heard this theme an awful lot in the book of Proverbs, haven't we? The danger of becoming wise in your own eyes and shutting your ears to the influence of other people. We've heard this warning about listening to others over and over in the book of Proverbs. Why do you suppose we run into this warning over and over in the book of Proverbs? Perhaps because it's important for us to pay attention to. One of the aspects of the couch potato instinct that lives inside of each of us is this hesitation to listen to input from other people and whether it's your friends from church who say it seems like you're not doing the dishes very often and you got to step up and start serving buddy or whether it's issues in the workplace where other people are giving you advice and you're just saying nah i got this i don't need your advice or whether it's friends in your small group who are sharing things with you. Whether it's listening to God's Word and cultivating habits of positioning ourselves under God's Word to listen to it and let it speak into our lives. It is a it is a consistent attribute of a fool to be wise in our own eyes and to be beyond advice. It is not an aspect of wisdom. To say no matter what anybody else says. I got this all figured out. According to the book of Proverbs. It is a consistent. Attribute of fools. And an attribute of couch potatoes. To say I don't need input from other people. Well that's a description of what a couch potato is like. According to Proverbs chapter 26. And the story gets worse. Because if we turn to other passages in the book of Proverbs, we realize that the couch potato's end will be tragedy. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 40 says, The sluggard, the couch potato, does not plow in the autumn, and he will seek at harvest and have nothing. This is true. In our vocational work, isn't it? It's true with our day jobs, in other words. If we're not showing up at our day jobs regularly, there's not going to be a paycheck in two weeks. Or maybe there will, but not in two months. But what's true with our day jobs and our daily vocations is also true in our spiritual lives, in our friendships, If we're not investing regularly in other people in our lives now, how strong will our friendships be in two months? It's true with our habits of prayer. As Eric Postolik says, the more you pray, the more you pray. But the converse is also true. The less you pray, the less you pray. If you're not praying today, what will your communion with God be like in two months? Well, perhaps the Spirit of God will awaken you. But without some consistent investment over time, our tendency will be to drift away. The couch potato's end tends to be tragedy. What's the alternative then to the couch potato's mindset? The alternative to the couch potato's mindset in the book of Proverbs is the ant's mindset. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6 for a second. Would you flip back to Proverbs chapter 6? The book of Proverbs not only warns us about the danger of the couch potato instinct, it also shows us a more excellent way, the way of the ant. And I love the simplicity of it. There's something humbling, maybe even humiliating, about human beings created in the image of God being told, you lazy bum, why don't you go learn from an ant? All the brain power you've been given, go learn from an ant, would you? <laughs> There's something humbling about it, but listen to what Proverbs chapter 6 verse 6 says. Go to the ant, O oh sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. You see, here's the opposite or the alternative to the couch potato instinct. It's the ant's mindset that says, I'll gladly play my small part. I'll gladly play my part no matter how small it is. I'll gladly play my small part now for the sake of the future. If you watch an anthill, I don't know if, parents, you've ever had those things for your kids. Don't shake them. I was just doing the shaking motion. That's bad. But you see that anthill and there are these little tiny ants and they are moving back and forth busily, right? They're carving their way through. They're constantly in motion, it seems. And each one of these tiny little creatures keeps on playing its tiny little part. For you or me, it would be no big deal at all to pick up the grain of sand that it's struggling to hoist. And yet each ant, hour by hour, day by day, just keeps on playing its own tiny part. Why? For the sake of the future. And in a similar way, those of us who are learning the way of wisdom, those of us who are learning to live wisely in God's world, need to learn to turn away from the couch potato instinct, and we need to learn the ant's mindset that says, I'm glad to play my small part for the sake of the future. In fact, I would go so far as to say this is an essential aspect Of Christian discipleship. Why? Not because diligence gets you saved. Not for that reason. Not because the ant's mindset can save you. Let me tell you with crystal clarity the ant's mindset saved nobody. However, once we are saved by the grace of God, We are called into a life of effectiveness and fruitfulness. We're not saved by our good works. But listen to me, we are saved for good works. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says to Christians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. which We created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not by good works, but for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, if by grace and through faith you have discovered new life together with Jesus Christ, that new life is not just something that you punch the clock after you die and then you begin to experience it. That new life that you are experiencing by grace through faith is meant to lead you into a life of fruitfulness and effectiveness today. It's to, meant to lead you into a life not not of being saved by good works but being saved by by grace for good works think again of how titus chapter 2 puts this titus chapter 2 says for the grace of god has appeared and that grace is bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions Zealous for good works. There it is again. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. But having been saved by grace, what are we saved for? We're saved with a purpose, we're saved with a mission. To go and represent our Savior, to go and represent our Redeemer, to go and represent King Jesus, zealous for good works. And in this respect, a church family should look something like an anthill. Each and every one of us in the church family saying, I am delighted to play my small part. For the sake of the future. For the sake of others. And for the sake of the reward that will be found on that day. When we are a church that gets a culture of grace deep down inside. A culture of grace will protect us in two different ways. On the one hand, a culture of grace will protect us from burnout. Because we realize That we will not be saved by our efforts, which gives us a freedom to exhale, a freedom to rest, a freedom from the cultural idea that we only rest so that we can go back to work again. A culture of grace protects us from burnout. It protects us from a culture of nonstop doing. But a culture of grace also sends us with a mission. It sends us with a purpose. It invites every single disciple of Jesus to take up their ant-like mission. Their ant-like mission to say, however small my contribution may be to the great commission of Jesus Christ, today I want to go and I want to make disciples in whatever culture or nation or part of the planet I find myself living. Today I want to go and I want to make my contribution to disciple making. I want to go and make my contribution to representing the king and living out what he taught us to live so that we live like salt and light in this world that he has stationed us in. And so we go to our workplaces, not just to get a paycheck, we go to our workplaces eager to be diligent so that we can represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We go to our workplaces, not just for the reward of cash that we get from our boss, but for the reward that will come in the future. Do you know that Ephesians chapter 6, writing to people whose jobs were as simple as washing dishes. He wrote to slaves in the first century and he says, whatever good any of you does. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for this the Lord will repay him. And so, Christian, we go into the workplace eager to bless and serve others as a way of representing our King, as a way of blessing other people and with an anticipation of the reward that He Himself will supply. And in this way, the church of Jesus Christ begins to look not just like a mirror of the couch potatoes that we once were, and the couch potatoes we could easily become again apart from the grace of God. But the grace of God dwelling in us and dwelling richly among us stirs us up so that we're a whole culture of grace-motivated people who say, I'm eager to play my small part. I'm eager to play my small part in prayer ministry for other people in this church family. I'm eager to play my small part in encouraging and building up others in this church family. I'm eager to play my part in bearing burdens and shouldering some of the load with one of my brothers or sisters who's grieving right now. I'm eager to play my small part and just reach out to one person who I'm concerned is out on the fringes and not talking to anybody right now. I'm eager to play my small part and reach out to one neighbor and get to know them a little bit more deeply with an aim of representing the love of Jesus Christ to them. And as we as a church become more and more like an anthill with everybody playing our own part, what we find is that the grace of God gets multiplied in ways that are bigger than any one of us would imagine. What we find is that our small little efforts, like the tiny little efforts of one ant doing its job, one day at a time, are storing up for us a treasure of rewards on that day. And it is my prayer, Paul said to a church, is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ on that day filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters who have trusted in Jesus Christ and are living your lives as followers of Him, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Romans chapter 12 verse 11. I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward at this time.